ago, and uh, it, I was here, I think it was in September or October, <laughs> some, October. And of course, you have your summer in uh, the later part of the year. And it was nice and warm, and we drove around this, you know, beautiful island. I think, I think Tasmania is more beautiful than the mainland. And, you know, we drove around, and my goodness, it is so beautiful. I told Tim, I want to come back, and I, I want to bring my wife so that she can see this country. And so we're back, and we're back here for six weeks. We've got another two weeks to go, and then we go on to the next place. And uh, this, this was supposed to be a time when we can get to see Tasmania and the beauty of Tasmania, but I forgot one thing, that your summer, or rather your winter, is in the middle of the year. And so Tim is right. It's been so cold, we're not really doing much traveling around. But I keep telling Tim, you know, Australians do a lot of things well. And you've got a beautiful country here, but there's one thing that you got conned on and you haven't done well. You know, in Africa, we have a real sun. It shines the whole year, it's warm the whole year, but yours only works about half a year. And then the rest of the year it goes out and you know, you have to wait until it's fixed up again and it comes back on again. And so we came at the wrong time. But we're still enjoying, at least, you know, from viewing the country from the inside of a car with the air conditioning up and warm, you know. It's, it's still a beautiful country, but we don't dare go outside. <laughs> and so it's our joy to be here and to be with you again. And um, maybe I could just uh, briefly introduce my wife. We've been married now for 33 years. This is our 33rd year. Come up, me. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> and uh, we, we came to know one another just soon after I'd accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. She accepted the Lord at the age of 10, and uh, we met each other when I was 22 years. I accepted the Lord in university as my Savior, and a year later, I met her. We fell in love and uh, went off to theological college, and I've been a pastor now for 32 years, and she's been alongside me for that length of time working with the children, and uh, just really enjoyed serving the Lord together, and uh, enjoying these later years. Now our children are grown up. We've got two married daughters. We've got seven daughters. We adopted four girls, and so three are natural born, and four are adopted, and uh, we've enjoyed raising them up, and now we're in our later years, and we're enjoying traveling together and ministering together. So let me give our chance to say hello, and then we'll jump into the word of the Lord today. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Just to quickly say that it's such a joy to be with you. Uh, we know we have our spiritual family everywhere around the world, and I was really looking forward to seeing Tasmania, the sights but even more significantly to meet my spiritual family. So it's so special. Special thanks to Tim and Sharon for your wonderful hospitality. We really feel at home. God bless you all. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, <clears throat> today, as I have uh, prayed about what to speak about, I thought I want to talk about something that is not spoken about often enough. And uh, to turn the torchlight on you, and on your personal life before the Lord, and to talk about sin, particularly hidden sin that is in your life and in my life that we need to bring before the Lord. And so if you would, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 14 through verse 16. If the guys at the back can project that for us, for those who don't have their Bible with them. Matthew, chapter 5, verse 14 through verse 16 is our text today. And I'm reading from the New International Version, and this is what it says. <clears throat> you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I don't know if you've ever heard the story of a man who worked with a railway company, and his job 
was to be a railway crossing guard. You know those places where the road and the, the, the railway line cross? And uh, the guard's job before the automation that we have nowadays was that he would stop the cars from going onto the track so that the train could pass and then you'd open up the gates and the cars could go across. Well, this guy's job was at a bridge that had only one line across it. And therefore, he watched to make sure that no time did two trains traveling on the same track ever come onto the bridge, but that one would be stopped while the other one passed. And he was at his station one day in the night at about two o'clock the phone in the booth rang and he picked it up and there was a man on the other side telling him, stop the train, stop the train. The train is too heavy for the bridge. Stop the train before he gets onto the bridge. But even as he heard those urgent words, he could hear the train coming down the track closer and closer. So he slammed down the phone, he picked up his lamp, he went outside and stood by the railway line and he swung his lamp back and forth to try and catch the attention of the driver. But the driver didn't stop. The train whooshed past him and went onto the bridge. And sure enough, the bridge with the structural problem couldn't take the weight of the train and before it got to the other end of the, of the bridge, it began to fall apart and it fell into the crevice below it. Many lives were lost that night. And so the train, the railway company was taken to court and they decided that he would be the one to take the blame and to take the hit. And so they took him to court and he was, he was put before a judge and charged with negligence of duty for not stopping the train. And as he pleaded his case out before the judge and they tried to show that he was at fault, he said, I, I ran out, I took my lamp, I weaved the lamp, but the driver did not stop. I couldn't do more. I did everything I could. And finally, because they had no evidence otherwise, they acquitted him. But it is said that as he walked out of the court, there were tears streaming down his cheeks. And he was heard mumbling under his breath, I waved the lamp, I waved the lamp, but the lamp was not lit. My dear friends, my question to you today is, you are the light of the world, but is your lamp lit? Can the world see the radiance of Christ in you? You see, many people are like a lamp that has a wick, that has fuel in it, paraffin, but it has never been set alight. And some, the light was, was put to the wick, the match was put to the wick, and it burned brightly once upon a time. But for reasons, the lamp, the light has become dimmer and dimmer and dimmer to the place where it cannot be seen or has been extinguished. You are the light of the world. Can the world see Christ in you? Can they see the hope of Christ because of your life? Or is the witness of Christ in you so dim, so hidden, that no one even knows that you have a testimony of God's grace. For the men and women on that train that night, who did not know about bridges and railway crossings, did not know about the danger that lay before them, their greatest concern was whether the beds that they were going to sleep on that night were going to be comfortable. Whether the meal that they would have at the break of dawn would be a good breakfast, worth the price that they had paid. They had no clue that they were headed for danger. So much like our world. When you go into the supermarket or into the mall or, or you pass by people jogging or riding a bike, their biggest concern is the immediate presence. Do I have enough money? Is my career going to take me where I need to go? 
Will I have enough to retire on? Am I safe? They have no clue that they are headed for a judgment day. And the only hope they have is that your light would be on and that your light would shine so brightly that they would be drawn to you to ask what is it about you and what is it about your life. Their only hope is that you would share with them the grace of God's goodness. And may I say that so important is this truth that the enemy that the Bible tells us we have in Satan will do anything he can to quench and to put out that light in your life. He will bring trials your way so that you lose faith in God. He will tempt you so that you're addicted to some form of bondage. He will discourage you. He will do everything he can to snuff out the light of Christ in you. Maybe you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior some time back, but didn't realize that you have an enemy and that he's working against you. And you know it's well been said that if you haven't met Satan recently, you're probably walking in the same direction. Because if you're a threat to him, he will attack you. If you are not a threat to him, then he'll leave you be. And if the light of Christ is shining in your life, he will attack you and he will do everything he can to quench your faith so that you cannot witness to God's goodness. And so maybe you took a wrong turn in the road sometime back and found yourself struggling with an addiction to alcohol or maybe struggling with pornography or maybe struggling with drugs or maybe you know, shame overwhelmed you to the place where you felt I've been to God's throne over and over and over again asking for forgiveness. I cannot do this one more time. And you gave up. You didn't feel that you could look God in the face anymore and ask for his forgiveness one more time. And once that light goes out, you may wave the lamp and wave the lamp and wave the lamp, but nobody sees it because it's not lit. All they see is the inconsistency between your testimony that you know Christ and the life that you live and the bondage that you struggle with. And they cannot put the two together. And they say then that, you know, this Christian life we're told about is about hypocrisy because there is no consistency. Hidden sin in your life, in my life, wears our faith down. And we live with a constant fear that somehow we'll be discovered. Somehow someone will know. When people look at us, we wonder whether they, they, are, you know, they are aware of what's going on. The questions they ask, well-meaning questions, you know, how are you really doing? We wonder whether they've heard something. They know something that we don't want them to know. And I know that as I speak today, I'm speaking to you and I, and that these are our realities. And maybe you're here this morning and you're sleeping around, and you know it's wrong. Maybe you're in an affair, and your spouse doesn't know it because you've kept it hidden. But the conscience of God's spirit in your heart has convicted you about it. Maybe it's that there's unforgiveness in your heart. Somebody did something wrong to you and you swore in your heart, I will never forgive them for what they did. My father and what he did to me. My mother and what she did to me. I will never forgive them for what they did to me. And therefore we're struggling with unforgiveness and we're harboring a bitter spirit in our heart and nobody else can see it. But God knows it's there and he's convicted you. But there is hope. Because Christ wants to help us escape from the trap that Satan sets for us. Not to be stuck where we are. I want to talk about the three ways that Satan so frequently traps us. 
getting us to believe what is not true and therefore whispering into our ears that we're safe, that it's okay, it doesn't matter. Three lies that he says over and over again that cause us to hide our sins and not to ask for, for, for God's forgiveness. And the first of them, you know this, is when Satan comes and whispers into our ear, it's a secret. No one will ever know. Nobody saw you commit it. Nobody knows what's going on. You've kept everything under wraps, you know. It's done in the darkness, in the closet. Nobody knows what is really going on. It's a lie. The Bible calls Satan a liar, and that is a lie. There are three people who know what's going on. I don't know if you ever heard of the man who um, had just finished his university studies. And uh, he was looking forward to beginning his career and getting a job, you know, and earning a good income. But when he went out onto the market and tried to get a job, there were no jobs and he couldn't find a place to work, particularly along his career line. And he went high and low all over the place, applied in a lot of places, but there were no jobs. And he was discouraged and didn't know what to do with himself. And he kept, you know, reading the daily papers, looking for, you know, big, uh, vacant opportunity, you know, job available. But he couldn't find anything that suited him. In his desperation one day, he opened the papers and saw written there, job available immediately. Apply at the local zoo. And he thought to himself, look, I trained in a different career line. But I need to eat, I need to pay rent, I need to meet my needs. I'll take this for the time being until I can get a job in my career. And so he went over to the local zoo and said, you know, I'm available if the job is still there. I'd like to apply for it. And they told him, well, sir, come back tomorrow. We will interview you. And if you pass the interview, then the job is yours. So the next day he came up, you know, dressed already, tie, you know, nice suit, you know, nice pants, good pair of shoes, formal shoes went for the interview. And when he got there, he went into the interview room and there was a panel of about, you know, four or five people sitting there. And they invited him to take a seat. And then they asked him for the details, you know, bios, your name, second name, you know, when were you born, how old are you, etc., etc. And they filled out that form. And then they asked him, sir, how, how heavy are you? How, how much do you weigh? And, you know, he gave them his weight. And they asked him, and uh, what size pants do you wear? And he gave them that size. And what size shirt do you wear? And he gave them that. And then they asked him, what, what about around your girth, you know, around your belly button? How, how wide is that? And he's thinking to himself, what, what sort of question, what sort of interview is this? And uh, he's not sure where it's going. And, you know, so he gave them that. And then they said, can we measure your forehead? And he's thinking, this is weird. Exactly what is it that you are inviting me to do? And uh, after they had filled out all those forms, they said to him, Sir, it would look from the details you have given us that you are the right person for us to employ. The job is yours if you'd like it. And he thought, you haven't asked me any sensible question. So he asked, can I ask a question? And they said, yes, 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 please feel free to ask a question. And he said, could you tell me what this job is? And, you know, nobody could look him in the eyes. They all looked down and they said, well, sir, you know, um, we've been looking for a gorilla for the zoo. And we haven't been able to find any. We've looked high and low. We've applied to other zoos. We've gone to Rwanda and asked whether they can send us a gorilla. They're none available. And yet the gorilla is the biggest attraction in this zoo. And so the job is that you would wear a gorilla suit and you pretend to be a gorilla until the day we're able to find one. And he thought to himself, this is my career. That's where I'm going. But he had no job. And so he said, okay, I'll do it. And uh, so they told him, fine, come tomorrow and we'll put the posters out. You know, new gorilla in the zoo. Come and see, you know, this amazing animal. So the next day he goes and he's given a gorilla suit and he puts it and because of the measurements they had taken, it fits perfectly. You know, they pad the stomach and such and, and they tell him, now sir, when you go into the cage, all you need to do is sit at the back of the cage so people can't really see the details. You know, sit at the back, it's a big cage, sit at the back and just eat, you know, a lot of bananas and make gorilla sounds. <laughs> you know, just, just don't, don't, don't let them know what's going on. So he thought, 
okay, it's a job, it's a job. And he, you know, he went into the cage. He sat at the back and he ate a lot of bananas the first day, ate a lot of bananas the second day, sick from them the third day. Fourth day comes along and he says, I, I can't do this. You know, this is too boring. And so he thought to himself, you know, but don't gorillas, you know, swing from tree to tree and, you know, monkey around and etc. And he thought, I did a bit of gymnastics when I was in, you know, in elementary school. Maybe I can, I can do some of that. You know, there are all these bars, this cage, and I can swing from one to the other. And so he thought to himself, I'll do a little of that. So he goes to the first bar and, you know, he's, 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 he's new at this. So he swings back and forth, you know in a safe manner, and he, he lets go of this bar and grabs the other one and swings back and forth. And the kids who had started to come to see the, the gorilla in the zoo, ah, they loved it. They are all cheering, and they are all happy and giggling and chuckling. And so he thinks to himself, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm good at this. And so he does it again. And he thinks to himself, you know, I can do even better. It's coming back now. And so now he skips the first bar and grabs the second bar. And, you know, he swings back and forth on it, and the kids are just all over the place. The crowd at the front of the cage is beginning to grow. You know, more people are coming to see this gorilla with its antics and etc. And so he's, he's enjoying this. Next day, he thinks to himself, you know, I'm going to try a little more. And so now he skips the first, you know, bar, skips the second bar, catches the third bar, and then turns around and immediately, you know, swings back to the first bar. And the crowds are just going crazy. Everybody's coming to see this gorilla. He's loving it. They're loving it. He thinks to himself, I'm going to do more than that. And so he swings, you know, really high. And he thinks, I'm going to go for the fourth bar this time. Not the first, not the second, not the third. I'm going to go for the fourth bar. And he swings with a lot of energy, grabs for the fourth bar, misses it, goes over the edge of the cage into the next cage. And bumps his head. And so for a minute, you know, he's not sure where he is. And then he looks up and he realizes, I'm in the lion's cage. I'm in the lion's cage. Somebody please help me, help me, help me, help me. And in the corner, the lion hears all this commotion and looks towards him and sees him. And so he gets up and he starts coming towards him. One slow mincing step towards him and he's there and the closer he comes the more he you know screams and the closer he comes he begins to <laughs> and he comes right up to him and he can feel the head close to his ear and the hot breath and then the lion says shut up or we both lose our jobs <laughs> my dear friends you can hide your sin, but it will find you out. And yes, the world may not know what's really going on, and you think you're safe, and you think it's covered up, but it will find you out. When Satan whispers into our ear that it's a secret, that nobody knows, nobody saw you do it, it's a lie. Because the Bible tells us, for one, that the first person who sees what you did is God himself. In the book of Psalm, chapter 139, verse 11 through 12, the psalmist writes and says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, O God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. There is nothing we do that God doesn't see. And yes, you're going on the web at 2 o'clock at night and you're clever enough, you know how to, you know, delete all the cookies and the links after you're done and nobody can find you out, but God has seen what you're doing. And yes, you're going to the next town or the town after that for this affair that you're keeping going, but God sees it even though your spouse does not know it. And it brings great sorrow to his heart. And if you confess your sin, he will forgive and begin dealing with you to give you strength to overcome it. But if you hide it, then God knows that for so many of us as his children, the only way 
that we will ever deal with that hidden sin is if it's exposed. And God himself will expose it if that's what it will take for you to deal with that sin. You see a classic example in scripture of this when God exposed the sin of King David having slept with somebody else's wife, Bathsheba, and then tried to cover it up, getting the man drunk so that he could sleep with this woman, his wife, and then they could pretend that the baby, because she became pregnant, the baby she was going to have was actually his. But he said, I cannot sleep. He was a warrior, he was a fighter, a soldier, and he said, I cannot sleep with my wife when the armies of Israel are out on the field doing battle. And so he refused to go home and sleep with his wife. And David thought, I'm in trouble. He won't sleep with his wife. She's pregnant. How do I cover this up? And so he told the army of the soldiers, you know, um, when the battle is hottest, put him at the point where he will be killed so that his life will be done away with. And then people think, well, he went back home, didn't he? And she's pregnant. He must have gotten a pregnant then. And then he came back and unfortunately he was killed. And so the army of the command, uh, the commander of the army put him in the hottest place of the battle and he was killed. But God saw this thing and sent the prophet Nathan to tell him, David, what you have done is evil. And God exposed him even though David had covered it up. My dear friend, God will expose you if it's the only way he can bring you to the place where you ask for forgiveness. And when Satan says that it's a, it's, it's, you know, it's, nobody sees it. It's a lie. When I was in high school, one of the subjects I loved, I, I was really a science, you know, oriented more towards the sciences, physics and chemistry and biology and, and mathematics. Those were my, my subjects. And I really loved, you know, chemistry and everything. And I, I imagined myself to be, you know, the next Einstein in the making. And we're waiting for the day when I would be revealed to the world and my greatness and awesomeness would be known by the world. And so one of the things I like to do was to do all the experiments that you know your chemistry teacher will never let you do. Okay? And because they won't, I borrowed from the school I was in the necessary equipment. So I had a laboratory at home with test tubes and petri dishes and all these, you know, um, what do you call them, measuring, uh, you know, to measure chemicals. And I even had a microscope that I had, you know, graciously borrowed <laughs> from the school I was a part of. And I was looking for those chemicals, particularly, where you mix the blue liquid with the red solid and it goes boom. Okay? And, uh, you know, I, they're, they're hard to come by, but every time we got an opportunity to use one of those, I would equip my laboratory at home with a little more than the teacher intended for us to have. And one day, we're working with phosphorus. You know phosphorus. It's what is said to be um, a chemical that spontaneously combusts. It's kept in oil so that it doesn't come in contact with the oxygen in the air. Because when it comes in contact with oxygen, when it dries up, when the oil dries out, and it comes in contact with oxygen, it, it flames up immediately and it burns with a white hot flame, okay? And as this was being passed around in a, you know, in a dish with, a, with tweezers so that you could take a, a, out a little piece and we were, you know, taking out a 0.5 you know, milligram mingy, stingy little piece that the chemistry teacher gave us. And we were supposed to burn it in a test tube and then weigh and see what had happened to the weight of the test tube when you burn, you know, this little bit of phosphorus. Of course, it unites with oxygen and etc. and the weight goes up. And so we're doing this. And as the bottle came round, I thought to myself, ah, this is exactly what I've been waiting for, phosphorus. Can you imagine what I could do with phosphorus at home? And so when the tweezer came, when the, when the bottle came round, you know, the next student passed it on to me and I was to pass it on to the next guy. I took the tweezers and I looked around and, and nobody was watching me. And I dug in for the biggest piece of phosphorus in the bottle. And I, I caught it and I took it out and then I took out my handkerchief and I put it inside the handkerchief and wrapped it up and put it in my pocket. And I thought, 
I've got my phosphorus now. Now let's do the experiment. I took out the teeny weeny little piece that the, the teacher wanted us to take, and I started working on it over here, cutting it up, weighing it, and then putting it in the test tube. When I felt this sort of warm sensation on my thighs, and I looked down, and I saw that my pocket was smoking. It had spontaneously combusted. And, you know, as I looked, it popped into a flame. Woof. And it popped into a flame. And I thought to myself, I'm burning. I'm burning. What am I going to do? I tried to dose it out, but it doesn't go out, of course. Eh? And so I reached for the table. On the table, a couple of beakers. I reached for one with, you know, with water in it. And I dosed myself. But I forgot that it wasn't water we were working with. It was dilute sulfuric acid. And so I dosed myself with this. And, and my trousers disappear because they're just being eaten up by the sulfuric acid. And now it's not only burning, but I can see that even my skin is beginning to bubble because of the sulfuric acid. And now I'm whim whimpering in pain. <laughs> it's not going out. The only way I could put it out was I immediately stood up. I took my trousers off, dumped them in the sink, dosed them with water. But now I didn't have trousers. My dear friends, I thought I had gotten away with it, but God exposed me. I'm not even sure how I got home that day with a big hole in my trousers. <laughs> I'm not sure how I got home. God will expose you if you do not deal with your sin. The second person who sees your sin and gleefully rejoices over it is Satan himself. Because the Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And ultimately, his, his desire is to shame God. And I can imagine Satan goes up to God and says, look at that, look at that. This is who you died for. This is what you died for. Look at him, hypocrite, useless, completely unable to do anything to glorify you. And he accuses us before God. But that's not enough. Because Satan will then expose you to your friends so that he can accuse you before them and say, this guy tells you to get saved, but look at him. Look at the way he's living. Did you know that he's doing this? And he will expose you where he can to shame the name of God. But it's not enough because Satan will come to you and tell you, so you thought that God was going to care for you. He was going to help you. And now look, you can't even do what you're supposed to do. Give up your faith. It's useless. There's no point continuing. And he accuses you before yourself, even as he accuses God. The Bible says that when God makes us feel guilt in our heart, it leads, the conviction leads to righteousness and to repentance. But when Satan causes us to feel guilt, it leads to remorse, which is not repentance, and it leads to despair and to giving up. There is a third person who sees it. Because in several instances in the Bible, the Bible tells us that God has assigned his angelic beings to watch over you and I. And through the course of the night, through the day, they watch over you and I. And they see what we do, even when we think it's done in secret. And it grieves their heart that a child of God would do this. My dear friends, when Satan says that it is a secret, that's a lie. It is not a secret. But the second lie that Satan tells us is this. It's okay. You can deal with this when you need to, when you want to. Don't get all hang up over it. I mean, it's just a small thing. And when you're ready, you can stop. Before I came to know Christ as my Lord and Savior, I did what I suppose every teenager does. Okay? You want to show you're a man by drinking. Okay? And the one who consumes the most alcohol, the most beer, the most, you know, um, whiskey, they're the man. And so I, I went into that trap, trying to prove my manhood to my fellow um, friends. And I began to smoke. And, you know, we'll say to ourselves, you know, I can stop this when I want, and you're puffing away. I'm, I'm not addicted to this thing, to the nicotine in this thing, and you're puffing away. 
But when you try to stop, you realize that you don't have the freedom you thought you had. It has become bondage to you. Imagine with me, picture with me if I was to take a cotton thread. You know the ones you use to, to sew on a button, to repair your clothes? Just they're, they're, they're very thin, they're not very strong. You know, to sew that button on, you have to do it over and over again so that you get enough string there that it holds the button in place. And imagine with me if you took one of those cotton threads and you wrap it around your finger once and you say, this thing can't hold me. I can snap it when I want. You know, it's just, I just need to flick my fingers and the thread snaps. And so you wrap it twice and you say, mm, still not strong enough. I can snap it when I want. So you wrap it three times. Nah, I can snap it when I want. It's a little harder, but I can still do it. But now imagine that sin that you wrap once and you say, I can escape from it when I need to. You wrap it twice. It's a little harder, but I can still escape. But then you do it 10 times and you do it 20 times and you do it 100 times and you do it 500 times. That little cotton thread has now become a rope of bondage that you cannot break out of in your own strength. And done once, done twice, done 10 times. I went on the web. I was curious about pornography on the web. And so I just went, I'm just going to go once. I'm not going to do this again. I just want to see what is it that people are always talking about. And I went once. But then I want to go again. And then a third time. And before I know it, I am addicted to the pornographic sites. And it has become a bondage, a chain that I can't keep myself away from. Whenever Satan yanks on that chain, I am completely helpless to remove myself from that so-called innocent little habit that I began, believing that I can break it anytime I want. And it's a lie of Satan. The writer of Hebrew tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It looks so innocent. It looks so feeble and weak. So easily entangles. And let us run the race marked out for us with perseverance. There's a third lie. And the third lie of Satan is, oh, come on, it's just a little pleasure. I mean, you know, everybody's doing it, so why not? I mean, you know, why are you so worried about this? You know, you're so, I don't know, rimrod straight. Everybody's doing it, so don't get hung up on it. The book of Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 3 says this. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Okay, now, there, there, there are passages in the, in, the, in the Bible that need to be read with the right voice and, you know, imaginatively. So let me do that for this passage, okay? If you read it straight, it says, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But if you read it with the right voice, this is what it's saying, okay? For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. And her smooth, her, her, her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. You see, my dear friends, sin always promises what it cannot deliver. It promises you this untold joy. It promises you, you know, titillating experiences. It promises you something you've never had before and never tasted before, like nothing ever before. But what it delivers is profound brokenness and sorrow and addiction and shame and loss and broken families and unfulfilled dreams. It promises a one, but it never delivers what it promises. It delivers death. 
the Inuit who live right on the other side of the world to where you are. You know, you're down south, they're up north in Greenland and in Alaska and etc. We call them the Eskimos. But uh, the Inuit have a way that they deal with wolves that prey on their herds. You know, whether it's deers or reindeer or whatever. Um, and what they do is, if there's a pack of wolves that is, is, is disturbing them and killing off their livestock, they, they take a blade, okay, much like a sword, and they sharpen it on one side and sharpen it on the other, and they, they keep sharpening it and sharpening it and sharpening until it is razor sharp, until it can cut, you know, splice a paper in half, very, very sharp. Once they have done that, they then slaughter one of their reindeers or, you know, um, a, a, a sheep or whatever, and they collect the blood. And they take a brush, and they brush the blade with this blood, and it freezes over. And they brush it again. And they do it again and again and again and again, until what happens is that this blade becomes like a lollipop of fresh blood. And then they go and stick it in the ground where the wolves will pass. And because the wolves can smell fresh blood, a kill from, you know, three miles out or even further, the wolves will hone in to this blade. And when they get there, they begin to lick it because, you know, it's blood, it's fresh, it's tasty. And they begin to lick it and they lick it and they lick it and they lick it and they lick off the blood. And soon they can feel that, you know, the blood is even warm now and it's flowing in their mouth. And what they don't realize is that they have ripped their tongues to shreds and they bleed out and they die. It's a picture of what sin does to our faith. It looks innocent. It looks titillating. It looks as though it's going to deliver pleasure like you've never known. But eventually it will bleed out your faith. There is nothing like just a little sin. All sin is dangerous, and it will kill your faith. So where are you today? Is it you I'm talking about? Has the spoken, has God brought to your mind a specific instance, a habit, something that you've been hiding, that you don't want him to know about, that nobody else around you knows about, but you know, and he knows. If it is, then you need to deal with it. And God invites us and says to us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if you confess your sin, then he is faithful and just and will forgive you of that sin and purify you from all unrighteousness. You know, God knows that you and I cannot make it alone. He knows we're fallen. He knows that we're given to ways and habits that will destroy us. And when he went to the cross for you, it wasn't as though you received salvation because he saw you had the capacity from this point on to walk on your own and to do the right thing. He knows your brokenness. And when he said, it is finished, he was talking about the sins in our past. But his death is also sufficient for our sins in the present. And even the sins in the future that have yet to be committed. But what it takes is that we have to come back to him and to confess that sin. And to plead with him, to ask him to strengthen us so that we can break that bondage to that sin and find the purity that he wants for us. And he will. But if we hide it, there is no hope. And it may be, yes, you struggle with the thought that I've been to him so many times over this thing, I can't do it one more time. But it's the only way that you'll ever find the freedom from the bondage that you might be in. Because your posture towards him, depending on him and asking for his grace and mercy, confessing your sin, is what will finally bring that redemption and the strength you need to break out. But if you hide it, 
then there is no hope. So I want to challenge you today. If there is something that you've been hiding away from God, maybe from your friends, your spouse, it's a habit, it's something you know is sin and you feel convicted in your heart. You know what I'm talking about. Could we take a moment in quiet and silence just to all bow our heads together in prayer? I'm going to invite my wife to come and lead us in a word of prayer. And could we just confess quietly before the Lord and tell him, Lord, I've been trying to hide this from you, but I feel so convicted today that you know what I'm talking about. And you've invited me to come and ask for forgiveness. That you will cleanse me and help me to walk away from this. And even if it takes time and even if I fall again, Lord, please help me to always come back. You know my brokenness. And only you can heal me in that place. So let's open our heads in prayer. And for a moment, just quietly have that conversation with God that you need to have. And then we'll conclude in a word of prayer. Father, thank you that today you reminded us from the scriptures that you know everything there is to know about us. In Psalms 139, you said it so clearly. Our thoughts, our actions, our lives are totally known by you. That there is nothing like darkness that hides us from your, the scrutiny of your loving eyes. You see us both day and night. Thank you for giving us this unique opportunity today to come with transparency before our God. And that love. There is nothing more that we can do to earn your mercy. You have freely, completely given it to us through Jesus Christ. You're not a God who is far away asking us to shape up and make sense of our brokenness or our crisis. You're the God who has demonstrated by your own love how much you value us. That you're willing to go to any extent to bring us to yourself. But you're a holy God and you cannot turn a blind eye to sin. So you gave yourself as a perfect sacrifice the substitution for our well-deserved punishment so that we can in receiving you be forgiven so this morning Lord we turn to you and ask that you would receive those prayers that you have prayed individually before your presence thank you for the promise of 1 John 1 9 if we confess our sins you are gracious, merciful, just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Father, thank you that you can see those things that need to be put right as we bring them before you. We come to you in brokenness and in humility to acknowledge we cannot change ourselves. To bring before you those things that we bought as a lie, tried to do thinking that they will fulfill us, but they have only left a deeper emptiness. We come to you admitting that sometimes we have become victims of the accusation of Satan. He keeps telling us, you have been knocked down, you'll never get up. Today we are rejecting that lie. We are refusing to listen to that word. We choose rather to gaze into your eyes of love and to say, Lord, we come again in brokenness and humility to ask that you may touch us with your forgiveness. We come with the humility of children to their father who loves them dearly. We surrender and acknowledge the things that need to be put right. 
thank you that every single person in this space is known and loved by you to the finest details, to the number of hairs on their head. But thank you that you cannot see the depths of our heart, our brokenness and our need for you. Today, Lord, without pretending, we come in absolute humility and acknowledge our need for you to save us from the consequences of wrong choices. And we bring to you our powerlessness that you may fill our hearts with the power of your Holy Spirit who enables us to live as God's children. You have said in the Bible that anyone who comes to you and says they are sorry, you will never reject them. And so we come into the embrace of your forgiveness and acceptance. Father, we don't seek to turn over new leaves because that doesn't amount to much. We come to you asking to be made new in Christ. To be filled with your power and your ability to live the Christian life and to live as God's children. And Father, we want to pray for anyone here who's never ever prayed that prayer. To say, Lord, today make me your child, Lord. I accept what Jesus did on my behalf. I bring everything, past, present, to the future that I've ever done wrong, that has separated me from your presence and your love. I surrender it and ask that you'd make me clean and make me new. Thank you that you always hear that prayer. It's the prayer you always answer with a grand eternal yes. And I pray, Father, today that you'd hear those who cry out to you for a new start in Christ. And Lord, as we finish our time, we want to pray a blessing on this church. We want to thank you for those who minister with and shepherd in this church. We want to thank you for Tib. We want to thank you for Sharon. We want to thank you for everyone who shepherds this loving community and commit them to you. And ask that as people come to them to talk about their desire to walk in a fresh way with you, you will give them grace and wisdom to hear with their ears and to minister through your Holy Spirit to each one. May our lives never ever be the same again because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. We want to lift our lights. We want our lamps to be lit and not put out. And your promise is clear. Even a tiny wick, I will not put it out. I will trim it that it might burn bright. So thank you for what you have said today through your word. May it minister to your people and allow us to walk in the newness of life, in the strength of the Holy Spirit, and in the friendship that you offer us in Jesus Christ. So bless this congregation, we pray, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. 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 Maybe, Tim, you can uh, just let us know if there's somebody who needs to talk with someone else about what's going on in their life. Who should they see so that they can share? Can we give them a round of applause, hey? Amazing.